This is Dr. Frank Leon Roberts. And my name is Aldo B. Martin. And this is Finding James Baldwin. It is now January of 1942. The United States has finally entered World War II one month before, and many regarded their entering as inevitable, as it was a matter of when, and not if, the United States would get involved. The U.S. government instituted the Selective Training and Service Act in 1940, in which men from the age of 18 to 45 were required to register for a military draft. Between 1940 and 1945, 50 million American men registered for the draft, with 10 million being selected to serve in the military. James Baldwin was not part of that 10 million, as he did not serve in the war. As the oldest of nine children from an impoverished family and the oldest of an unhealthy father, young James Baldwin was exempt from being drafted into the military. The official term used was that he was deferred by reason of extreme hardship. As the war finally reached the United States and the Great Depression was coming to an end, life at Clinton High School continued and young James Baldwin continued to write. The dream. One day I dreamed you left me, and all the earth grew still, and all the sturdy people from yonder sturdy hill walked past me with averted eye. They looked away and passed me by. All the blushing flowers, and all the tender grass, and all the rushing waters, and every underpass, and the still and stony place where leaves cast shadows fine as lace. Every place we'd ever been throughout all the land looked at me with pity, and I longed to feel your hand. Once again upon my own. But oh, the land and sea stood and sang when I awoke and found you were with me. James Baldwin Uh, you know, whenever. Oh yeah. Whoops. I got you. I got you. I got you. One day I'll get a. One day I'll get a professional studio with air conditioning. Hey, one day you're gonna get a professional assistant. 
They're going to be doing all of this. Oh, man. Even then, I don't know if I'd be happy with it. I'd be like, you ain't doing it right. Uh, Let me just figure this out. <laughs> no, but please forgive me. Forgive my ignorance here. But anytime I see the word the dream, I just think about the El Debar song or the Debar song. Uh, you remember that one? Not really. Oh, you've heard honest. it. You've you said it's by Debarge? Debarge. Oh, you're bringing your way back. Hold up. You know what? You're what? aging me again on the air. You know, I'll be up. trying to act like I'm younger. I'm trying to be trying to act like I don't remember Debarge, knowing good and dad well. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> good and dad. Debarge, it, it doesn't, it doesn't ring it doesn't, a bell. It doesn't quite ring a bell. What? Hold up, hold up, hold up. A dream. Wait, but you don't, because I also think of Christopher Williams. Don't hurt. Oh, don't wake me because I'm dreaming. No, no, no. Here goes. You've heard this song. Here we go. Peep this. Okay. Oh my gosh, of course. Yeah. Mary J did this. But this is a Debar song. Wow. And this was the sister. And this is all this sample was used in Tupac's. Oh yeah. Um Oh yeah. What, what was the Tupac song this was used um, in? Um I am mad at you. I am mad at you. Blackstreet used it. Uh, that's right. It's definitely a Blackstreet uh, But she too. kills this, though. Mm. Hold up. She kills this. Do you hear this? Hey. Audience, I apologize. <laughs> we, we, we took a left that turn. Quick, that quick We turn took a left turn in WBLS. <laughs> <laughs> the Baldwin edition. Listen. Baldwin travels but, with okay, us WBLS everywhere. WBLS stands for what? The Baldwin listening station. That's it. That's what it is. Yes, we got it. BLS. Yes, yes. Baldwin listening station. Oh, man. So this poem uh, that the audience just heard is called The Dream, right? And I got a controversial take on this one. Okay. I'm not sure that he's talking about a person here. Mm. Okay. Tell me more. I'm not sure. This was written in 1942 or published in 1942, which was... When he graduated. So this That's was right. his last time with the magpie. Yeah. Right? His last one. His last hurrah. Mm. I think that the poem is about the magpie. Mm. I think so. One day I dreamed you left me and all the, gr- all the earth grew still. The you left me part, I think, is the magpie. And here's why I think so. James Baldwin did not like high school. Yeah. He was not a successful high school student. And that made me feel great, actually, when I learned that, because I was not a successful high school school student. Neither was I. He graduated late. So did I. Mm-hmm. Right? And I noticed how you didn't join us on that part. <laughs> so how bad were you really? How bad were you really? You I'm know? still pretty bad. <laughs> listen, listen, man. If you didn't do overtime, you was all right. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Shout out to all our overtime brothers right there. Shout out to... It's Super seniors, overtime workers, That's we it. out here because there's light, there's hope after that. That's it. Mind you, quick side note, or, you know, we know this, right? But yeah. this is a brother who, his first semester at, uh, at Clinton High, you know, receives a 65 in English. I love that about James Baldwin's autobiography, right? Or biography. The idea that James Baldwin fails <laughs> his first semester <laughs> of English. Like, if that is not hope for someone out there, I don't know what it is. But anyway, pass the microphone back to you, good brother. And I think it's I think it's important for the audience to know that. Yeah. To understand that James Baldwin is attainable and accessible. That's right. And was on a journey. Like he was on a journey. Yeah. And, and and I think we lose sight of that. When we see successful people, sometimes all we see is the success. We don't realize the amount of work it took and the heartache that it took. So 
Shout out to James Baldwin for being just like me in that regard. There you go. But when you hear about the magpie and you read about the magpie in the furious passage of James Baldwin. Yeah. The author, Fern Ekman. Fern Ekman, the OG with it. 1966. One of the first biographies. Yeah. Written while he was alive. Yeah. Yeah. Really laid the foundation for the future biography. Absolutely. One of my, I think it's one of my favorites because it really speaks, it's James Baldwin in the present tense. Because mm, mm-hmm. he was alive, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and she was able to ask him questions about these things. Whereas the other biographies, which are all great, yeah. they're in the past tense, right? Yeah, and after yeah. everything's already been established. But anyhow, what the magpie meant for him was such a, <sighs> Clinton High School, 5,000 students. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Think about being in a place with 5,000 people. Twice the size of many liberal arts colleges today. Really now? Yeah, 5,000 is, is extraordinary. I mean, you think about Amherst College, um, where I'm a professor. We have 1,800 students. 1,800 students? All together. Let me tell you something, man. my high school, we had 1,800 sophomores. Yeah. Okay? That's the thing about going to school in New York, the big New York City yeah. public schools. Huge. Yeah. And so- Here's Clinton High School in the 1940s, the same deal, right? 5,000 students. Yeah. Well, I know for, he's, he's described as one of the quietest, and he's, descri- he's described as, quote, the poorest. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He, he really is. He really is. Hold up. So I'm looking in- In the uh, Ekman biography. I'm looking in the Ekman biography right now. And for those uh, who want these, and this, this, of course, will be in our bibliography for this episode, but- Fern Marsha Ekman's The Furious Passage of James Baldwin, published in 1966, an imprint of the Roman, the Roman and Little, Littlefield Publishing Group, um, is something that, that we recommend. Here's how the author describes what the magpie meant for James Baldwin. Quote, for the first time in his despairing life, Jimmy Baldwin had companions of his own age with his own absorption in literature and his own conviction that they would abide there forever. So the first time he's meeting his peers, literary peers. And what did that mean for him? I don't know if that fits. I don't know if that fits. No, it absolutely fits. Can I say something? Yeah. So, I mean, what I love about that passage is that it makes me think, you know, in terms of why the magpie mattered so much to James Baldwin, it probably was one of the first spaces where he could begin to think about the relationship between spatiality and literary production. What I mean by that is that there was for, for listeners, and I'd like for you, Brother Al, to tell us about the tower at Clinton Hill High School, right? That, they, oh, that, that the tower- <laughs> Run it back. Run it back. Run it back. It wasn't Clinton Hill. I'm going to X that out. What was it? Clinton, Clinton Hill, Lord have mercy. Well, was that a, was that a Clinton show? On, Hill. Was that a BET show? Right, right. Clinton Hill High School. Right, right, right. The Baldwin Hills. No. Oh, okay. Let me Wait, scratch was that it. a BET reality show? It might as well have been. I don't know. It is today. So scratch back. Maybe we'll leave that in. I don't know. That Clinton Hill High School. In the, we, we took Baldwin to Brooklyn. <laughs> Baldwin went to Brooklyn. Oh, Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. <laughs> Baldwin went to Brooklyn. Um, you know, I used to live in Clinton Hill. Really? I, I did. I the best I right I over. did. Yeah. I, I, I thought I was cool. Uh, I even wore a koofy once. Hey! Just, I have a Clinton picture Hill of about it, it, actually. But go on, please, please. No, shout what out, I love shout about- Shout out to Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. <laughs> what I love about that passage you just read 
is that it makes me think one of the reasons that I think the Magpie also was such a special experience for Baldwin yeah. is it probably was one of the first spaces where he began to think about the relationship between spatiality and literary production. What does that mean? Well, what it means is Baldwin was very, later in his life. Yeah. Baldwin is constantly talking about the importance of being in certain geographic spaces in order to produce work. So we know that Baldwin loved being in... Uh, spaces that had a lot of people, but we also know that he was often outside of the United States writing about the United States. So there was something about the isolation of being afar, writing about something close to home. And what I'm getting at here is that for those who are listening, um, and here's where, Brother Aldo, I'd love for you to speak to the geography of the tower at DeWitt Clinton High School, where Baldwin was he might've been writing these pieces at home and then bringing them to the tower. But we certainly know that him and brother Richard Avedon and brother Emil Capuya, they were working as part of the magpie staff in the section of Dewey Clinton high school that was referred to as the tower. And there was something special about that tower. Now, someone who's actually been in that tower, Mm -hmm. tell us about the tower. I actually have been in the tower. Um, Okay. So Clinton high school is three floors, right? But it's a really, ginormous building just like a large square right like a large square like a large uh square shaped o yeah right with the with the hole in the middle but it just that's how it is it really is its own campus absolutely gorgeous gorgeous campus gorgeous architecture above the third floor is an actual tower like a bell tower yeah that's what it looks like from a distance and to get there you had a it was actually near the library Mm. Right. So the, the staircase directly in front of the library, you just go right up and boom, there's the tower. It's a small space, maybe about uh, 20 by 30. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty large room. Yep. But that's compared to everything else. It's yep. Maybe the size of two classrooms, but it's just nothing but windows. Okay. That's it. 360 windows. And that view from the tower is a different view of the Bronx that one might not have because it's all greenery. Ah, and say right there, because that's what I mean about this relationship between spatiality and literary production. Because we can imagine a young, awkward James Baldwin flanked by his two peers, Richard and Emile, who they're getting this bird's eye view. Literally. Literally of the city. And they're able to see the world in a different way and then write about it. In these entries. And so we can imagine young Baldwin really being struck by that by, by that image of the world anew he sees in the tower. And he's more struck than his peers because his peers mm. are from the neighborhood. That's right. So they live in this 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 neighborhood by Marshall Parkway, which is a green space. Yeah. Which is a green space. If you're from around there, this is before the Tracy Towers were built. Mm. This is before. Tell the people what the Tracy Towers are. The Tracy Towers for the. See, I meant that for those who know. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. If you know, you know. But the Tracy Towers is is a are two large buildings, very large buildings, probably a hundred floors that was built there in the 1960s. Yeah. But it wasn't there when Baldwin was a student. And so Mashalu Parkway. Some people say Mashalu. I say Mashalu. Don't at me. But <laughs> in Mashalu Parkway, it's just green space yeah it's just green space and it nears van Cortlandt park Mm -hmm. right so for his peers richard avidan and emil capuya and sol stein and sol stein yeah they they're used to it Mm -hmm. it's what they see richard avidan lived in manhattan right 
but he's you know he's on the the west side. Yeah, you got River Park. You know, what is it? Um, Riverside. Park? Riverside Park. Yeah, you got Central Park. Yeah, but for Baldwin, this looks totally different from Harlem. Yeah, right. Yeah, the concrete jungle of Harlem. Yeah, and so he's literally in this tower, and and the Magpie staff would meet when school was over. Mm. So it was three o'clock mm. when school is over is when the magpie meetings were held, the sessions were held. Yeah. So now they are literally have the school to themselves. Yeah. They're literally separated from all their peers. That's right. Because evidence says of high school, this is what evidence says of high school. Um, Richard evidence says of, of, of high school, Clinton was a nightmare for me as elementary school had been. You know, a high school that size is a pretty lonely place for a potential artist. But the tower wasn't lonely at all. We had the most wonderful time there. We stayed as long as we could and left only when they shut the doors. Mm, I love that. Because it speaks to, again, I mean, one of the things that is so fascinating with this history that we have stumbled upon is the history of this high school as this space that was literally breeding and incubating artists. And some of it had to do with the architecture mm. of this um, complex. And, and location. The, 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 uh, exactly. Of the location and architecture of this complex that afforded this feeling of solitude, of isolation, um, and, and as well as a literal view of the world that a young Jimmy Baldwin would not have otherwise had. And so no. we don't want to lose that in the story of the sort of cultural and historical context in which these writings for the magpie were born. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's it. I, I think that's it. I mean, there was more that I wanted to say compared to something else, but I think, I think we're good here. I, I think the dream that he's talking about, I don't think he's talking about another person. I think he's, t I had a dream that you left me because at the end of the poem, here's what he says. Every place we'd ever been throughout all the land looked at me with pity. And I longed to feel your hand. I think he's talking about the magpie. The other piece, though, to me, that's interesting here, um, analyzing this poem and thinking about it in relationship, for instance, to the earlier poem, To Her, is the absence to the reference of gender. So we saw in this earlier moment in Baldwin, and we know what Baldwin is going through. Baldwin is going through this sexual coming of age where he's performing a certain kind of heteromasculinity for his father, who's presumably also reading these things. But here we see the Baldwin who is just about to enter the world as a, as a high school graduate, who's just about ready to step out on his own, who has now in 1942 had two years under the tutelage of the great Buford Delaney, who doesn't seem to be quite invested, as invested in the sort of lie of heterosexuality that the earlier poems, I mean, again, think back to that earlier poem to her where the presumed um, subject of the poem is a woman identified person here. Baldwin, we see him getting past that gender is neutral here or ambiguous. I should say not neutral, which to me speaks to here is a young writer who is starting to think past the mandates mm. of heterosexuality as the sort of subject and subtext of his poems. Or do you think he's trying to hide it? I don't To me, I don't see it as a hiding. I see it as, again, when we think about it in relationship to what he was doing before with all the references to women, mm -hmm. now the absence of references to female gender 
uh, to me, seems like a kind of growth development for Baldwin, where he's saying, I don't have to play this game, just to put it in colloquial terms, and act like I'm writing to a high school sweetheart. Now I'm going to leave it ambiguous. That's the way I read that. I'm going to leave it open to interpretation. Yeah. I'm going to leave it open. And and then at the, the at the end when he says, once again, upon my own, but oh, the land and sea stood and sang when I awoke mm. and found you were with me. The whole time as he goes about his life, I think he finds that the lessons he learned at the Magpie are with him. The relationships he built writing the Magpie are still with him as we're going to learn later on, right? These three men that you, that we've mentioned all uh, often in these last few episodes, we're going to discuss them in further detail later on and how all these guys played a big role in the making of James Baldwin. And so this, I believe is an ode to, to, to the magpie. Yeah. I, I, that's what I think it is, but I could be wrong because I have been known to be wrong in the past. Not at all. Not at all. Well, the last thing I'm going to say okay. is that also if you look at some of the nouns in this poem okay, and thinking about it in relationship to what you said about the view, the literal view that Baldwin is um, beholden to in the towers where he's yeah. looking at all this greenery, yeah, it allows us to think about this poem differently. Look at these choices, these environmental references, okay. earth, hill, flowers, Grass, waters, land and sea, constant references to land, actually in some ways does kind of speak to what Baldwin would have literally been seeing as he looked out the windows of the tower, right? So there's something about, we can, to your point about reading this poem as a reference to the magpie, we see how the the the, the literary visuals that Baldwin offers the reader here are sort of in relationship to what he would have been seeing as he looked out of those towers. One, the, the tower, the tower. Mm, the the, tower. I, th- I think you were probably uh, uh, confused you with my reference to Tracy Towers. Oh, Tracy Towers. Yeah, yeah, Shout out to Tracy the one Towers. Tower, the one tower. That, see, I haven't had the privilege of being all up in the tower like <laughs> well, Brother Aldo. Listen, one of the things that you can see from the tower is Jerome Park Reservoir. Uh, a huge reservoir. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it was... There at the time. Matter of fact, can you just Google Jerome Park Reservoir? Mm. When was it established? Because I'd love to know if that's one of the things that Baldwin saw at the time too. Because mm. then that would that would add to what it is that you're saying, right? It's certainly not a C, but well, it's the very certainly... first thing it says is the Jerome Park Reservoir is surrounded by Dewey Clinton High School, the Bronx <laughs> High School of Science, Lehman College, and Walton High School. It was founded. It was built in 1906. Boom. So it was there when Baldwin was, was, was a student. So it was one of the things that he saw.